The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. MAC Cosmetics supports diversity, inclusion, and conscious beauty for all ages, all races, all genders. MAC Cosmetics Malta is proud to support these important conversations. Visit us at Tinye Street, Slima, and let us help you express your true self. Welcome to The She Word, conversations that women rarely have and really should. This episode's conversation was suggested by one of my guests on today's show. And when I reached out to see if anyone would be interested in taking part, I was utterly overwhelmed by women across the world. Because this show is about women abroad. And on the show with me is Doreen Abeliz, Lebanese-born. Doreen is a public speaker and trainer who's lived in Malta for 32 years after coming to the country for what was meant to be a five-year stopover. Thank you so much for being with me. I can't wait to hear about your story in just a second, Doreen. And thank you for getting in touch with me and coming up with this show in the first place. Thank you. I'm really excited. But we also have Rebecca Kamsey, who is Australian-born, Maltese-raised, creative and photographer, who spent most of her life between countries around the world. Now, you've got an awful lot to share on this topic because you have very, very current experience. And we'll be talking about that in just a second. Rebecca, it's so lovely to have you on the show. And Petra Vella. Hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> because you've been related to this show, The She Word, since its inception. In fact, you are in the trailer and in the pho photograph that we use pretty much on every single communication. So you are really intrinsic to the she word. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> Hello there. And you actually contacted me and said, yes, I want to be on this show. And I didn't know your backstory. So I'm really looking forward to delving into that. But myself, me, I'm going to be contributing to this conversation in this show because I'm actually, um, I know it's a shock, but I'm not Maltese. I know I look it, uh, but I've been here for 17 years and also now my new husband is based in Prague. So a lot of traveling for me as well, but my family are in the UK. So I, I'm going to be contributing probably for, for a rare occasion. I'm going to be re contributing quite a bit to this conversation. Before we come to you guys filling yourselves in a, a little bit more, just a little bit of statistics and why this show is relevant. There are 115 449 non-Maltese living in Malta, which amounts to 22.2% of the population. That means more than one in five people living in Malta are not Maltese, which is a massive contrast to the two, uh, 21 
and a half thousand people living, foreign people living in Malta in 2000, and even the 41 and a half thousand who were living in Malta in 2015. There are around 120,000 first generation and 300,000 second and third generation Maltese living abroad. And this means that we have a dysphoria of around 420,000. As many as Maltese and Gossetans as we have on this island are actually living abroad as well. And of course, the Maltese are accustomed to moving abroad because between 1946 and the late 70s, over 140,000 people left Malta on an assisted passage scheme with 57% migrating to Australia, 22% to the UK, 13% to Canada, and 7% to the United States. So we're a very transient nation here in Malta, and this is why this is a very, very important topic to discuss. So before we get down into the nitty gritty, hello. Hello. Doreen, please introduce yourself because you got in touch with me and you told me a tiny bit about your story, but I'm really, really excited to hear more out of it. You've been here 32 years. It's a lifetime, actually. So I was actually born in Saudi Arabia and uh, both my parents are Lebanese. And eventually we went to Lebanon then my parents, mainly my father, said, let's go to Libya, because at that time there was war in Lebanon, and we went to Libya. However, the situation in Libya was, was not the best, let's put it that way, especially for education. So he said, okay, let's go to Malta, and we stay there for a while, five years, and guess what? After 32 years, we are still here. <laughs> Obviously, that means that we love Malta, and Malta has given us a lot. So, so you were how old when you came? Nine. But you still have uh, um, an accent that's not Maltese. Really? Because a lot of people tell me that I have a Maltese accent, so I don't know. Look, Petra is saying, huh. She does have a bit of a Maltese accent now. A little, yeah. a little okay. bit, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yes, but yes. very interestingly, we were talking about, before we started the show, we were talking about our spouses. I'm married to a Maltese. You're married to a Colombian. Indeed. Which is extreme. I mean, you probably, with all due respect, ladies, the most exotic at the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently, yes. Even in my family, my sister is, is married to a Gossetin. She, she prefers, you know, to call him Gossetin and my brother is married to a Montenegrin. So, so you can imagine all the languages in our families, you know. All the kids speak more than three languages, wow. all of them. So my nephews and nieces, all of them understand Lebanese or Arabic, but Lebanese, you know, to be precise. And Maltese, obviously, and English to add up. Um, oh, wow. Serbian you know, or Montenegrin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and I'm teaching them Spanish, so they already when I oh when they when they grief. when they see me, so they already say "Hola, mi amor." <laughs> <laughs> the basic phrase, yeah. Well, that language is definitely something we're going to be exploring, mm. and I'm really glad that you suggested this show because I, honestly, when I when, after you contacted me, I put out and I said, "Does anybody, you know, does this affect anyone? Does anyone want to get involved?" Mm in the show and I want to say a massive thank you to every single person that got in touch because we heard from women all over the world. I think the furthest we heard from a lady was from Argentina, a Maltese in Argentina and hello and shout out to you. But from all over the world, 
uh, who wanted to be involved in this show. And one of the people that got in touch with me and said, I want to be involved is Rebecca. <laughs> and Rebecca, we actually are, are working on other things involved with the she word, but you said, I have a story. So what's your story? So, well, in my case, it was more so, I think my parents sort of instilled the travel in me because my father was, um, when, my, when my mother was married very young, and uh, they first moved to Paris and then they moved to Switzerland. They had my brother and my sister there. And then my father had some issues with work and he went to move to Australia. There was going to be a big opportunity there. And I was born there. I was, they, they called me the lucky one to have the Australian passport. Um, and basically they, they lived there for five years. And, and when I was two, they decided, you know, my mom said better, maybe we move back. There were some issues with work and it was a big step. They decided to move back to Malta. And I moved back when I was two, so pretty much Maltese, born and bred sort of thing, and grew up mainly here for most of my life. But I remember we had um, gone back to Australia when I was nine, and um, it was the first time I was sort of back in Australia. And there was, I have this memory when I was nine, sitting in the car and thinking, I will be back here for some reason or another. I don't know what it was, I just have this strong memory, and I mean, why would you have a memory like that? Um, and I always say that I must have manifested <laughs> finding an Australian because I ended up marrying an Australian and then life brought me back to Australia as well. Um, but before that, I was living in London. I, my first uh, experience living abroad was Finland, which was insanely crazy. Um, so I think a big part of me always had this hunger to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because my upbringing was sort of um, that aspect to it. My mom, she thought coming back to Malta, we'd all be together and now we're all apart as well because <laughs> I have a brother living in London, a sister living in Belgium, my youngest brother is still here. But So we, we traveled quite a bit. Um, but for the last 10 years of my life, um, prior to coming back to Malta, um, I was living in, in all parts of uh, different places, basically. I'm looking forward to, to discussing some of the issues that surround traveling and moving and being part of a family that that's, that's really inherent in. So thank you for that. And I'm really glad that you're here. And, and Petra, I mean, hello. Darling. I know. <laughs> because we've known each other for quite a long time. And yes. I know that you are married to a South African. I am. But that isn't your travel story. No, not really. I relate a lot to what Rebecca said because... I still remember my first trip with my parents abroad. I was nine. And I still remember the feeling of getting on a plane. And, you, you know, it's like it was, we went to Paris for the first time. And I still remember how that, that feeling of like traveling and being outside of the country for the first time. And I think that kept growing in me up until, you know, when I was 22, I decided to leave the country <laughs> and pursue my studies abroad. And from there, I worked abroad in another country. And funnily enough, I got into a job which actually took me around the world as well. So up until I was pretty much 30 years old, I was traveling constantly and I used to love it. I always felt like, you know, from a very young age, that like I don't belong just here. Mm -hmm. and but you had studied in the UK. Yes, in Bath. Mm -hmm. And then you were also commuting up and down from... That was later, yes, because after the UK, I was living in Rome because I was working in Rome for a while. And then I was commuting up and down uh, from the north of Italy as well for around six years so yeah apart from my job taking me everywhere else but I always felt like I belonged um, 
to everywhere else, you know? I was like, at the beginning when I was much younger and I left to study, I was like, no, I'll never come back, you know? It's like, but funnily enough, you get, it's like a full circle. Mm -hmm. And I ca came back to Malta, like, to settle as well. And now I think I appreciate Malta much more than I used to before. Mm. And that's something also that we're going to talk about in just a second. And I just wanted to sort of fill in my story as well, because uh, I'm obviously not Maltese, but for me, Malta is now home. I've been here 17 years and traveling now because my husband of a few months has <laughs> relocated. We came out of COVID and he decided to up sticks and, and go to Prague. Um, but my reason for being in he being in Malta 17 years ago was was following my heart and I came down and followed a, a gentleman who had a boat uh, fell in love with Malta fell out of love with him <laughs> and him and the boat left <laughs> but prior to that and you ladies have all mentioned one thing my experience was I, I didn't travel I didn't leave the UK until I was 18 years old mm. and I at 18 again I'd met a guy <laughs> it's always, <laughs> always a guy, a guy. Right? <laughs> I'd met a guy who uh who was from Boston mm -hmm. and at 18 years old I said I'm going I t turned to a, a friend of mine and I said you want to go and work in the U.S. and she said yes and I did my research and I found a job in the U.S. for both of us in New York and at wow. 18 years old in 1992 we up sticks we went to the, to the U.S. and I remember landing and get at, at the job uh, and saying can I call my parents and let them know that we've arrived and they said no we don't have an international phone you're going to have to write them a letter. <laughs> so I wrote to tell my parents that we'd arrived, and that letter arrived five days later. And that was the first sort of experience for me, being in a different country, when you really couldn't communicate with home. I then found out that the boyfriend had a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, and that was a sort of a, a lesson long-lived uh, relationship with the U.S. But... I want to come back to something that each of you have just touched on very, very briefly. We're going to talk about all the logistics and the, the joys and the pain of being abroad, because I want to be really brutal about this. But let's start off with the benefits of living abroad and experiencing a different culture. And I want to find out what it's brought to you as an individual. And I'm going to start with you because you've been here a long time. Mm -hmm. But you very much retain your identity, even though you have a Maltese passport, you retain your identity. But what has it brought for you? What do you say that being from a different country and living in Malta or any of the countries that you've lived in has given to you as an asset? And, and is Malta home for you? Do you consider? No. So this course, is home. Of course. Yeah, yeah. It is actually our home. Malta has given us a lot as a family. Um, we did all our educational background here in Malta. So obviously you can imagine we had to start learning Maltese from scratch. But within six months, we managed to learn the language. Mind oh you. my Lord, that's pressure. Yeah. We had, a, so we had to go to school, but we had also a private teacher at home. So we went back home and we had someone waiting for us. Um, so definitely we learned Maltese immediately we learned Italian just by watching cartoons yeah. the three of us mm -hmm. so that's a blessing can you imagine we already like speaking Maltese Italian and obviously English so languages it's a big benefit and then the all the learning opportunities I mean school and it wasn't that easy as I'm making it sound mind you because coming from a third country national uh, from a third country country 
third national country, country yeah. um, it was very difficult to travel. We needed visa for like any country. So applying for visa costs money. You had to wait. You had to do paperwork. So it wasn't that easy. And even attending school here in Morta, we had to pay. And at the time, you know, coming here, it wasn't that easy. But, 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 now when we look back and we say, wow, I've learned so, so many things. Give me an example, because give, give me, you just mentioned you, you, you've been here since you were a child. But what do you think that you have experienced, the one thing that you've experienced uh, through your life that you wouldn't have if you had not traveled? The accessibility to education. Because had we to remain in Libya, the level of education uh, wouldn't be like it is in Malta mm. to start with. In Lebanon, we come from a village. And again, I mean, to go to Beirut, you need money to go to a good university. So you need a lot of money. I mean, okay, here we had to pay money, but compared to Lebanon, it wasn't that much. So definitely the first thing I would mention is education. Mm -hmm. And that was the prime reason why we stayed here. Education, my parents, my mom was a teacher. So obviously for her, education is very, very important. That's a huge game changer. Yeah. And it's very interesting. I'll just touch on that because you mentioned coming from a third a third nation country. Mm -hmm. I came to Malta from a European country mm -hmm. and I am now a third country national. Yes. So I'm understanding that. Yeah. Because suddenly things got very difficult. Of course. Anyone who voted for Brexit, <laughs> thanks a yes. lot. <laughs> yes. You're lovely. I love you, really. <laughs> Coming back to some of the things you said in just a second, Rebecca, one thing that traveling, your traveling experience has given to you that you would not have had if you hadn't have traveled, if you hadn't lived the life that you had. Look, I think before I, especially Australia, before I went to Australia, I um, I was a creative person, but growing up in Malta, I must say, like, my creativity was quite stifled. Um, I went to a church school and, you know, you had to be by the books. If you didn't follow the, you know, it was all very, very repetitive work and, um, you know, spoon feeding kind of style. I studied sciences because, you know, accounts was something like... Um, my brain never worked well with maths, first, <laughs> first and foremost, you know. And then it was like, science seems the best thing, you know. My grandfather used to tell me, you should become a, like a doctor. or you know, And then I realized I'm terrible at chemistry. And, <laughs> and you know, I always, I always wanted to be outside the box, always. Like, and um, as in school, they would call me the rebel in the classroom. And the amount of things I got labeled because I didn't conform. <laughs> So um, I think when I went to Australia, it was suddenly like I could be anyone, you know, and, you know, the imposter syndrome that mm -hmm. you experience, mm -hmm. you experience it, I think, three times the amount in Malta because it's that small island yeah. syndrome, I suppose, um, to all its benefits that it has, that when you know somebody, you can get net, like your network and you can connect. It can be a big downside if you let fear, like, take you over. know, take over. Yeah. Um, from the creative aspect, you know, when you're in photography or, you know, what, whatever it is that's creative, it's subjective. So then you worry about people's opinions and who am I, you know, to think that I, that my work is good. Um, so when I went to Australia, I was a nobody. And it was the first time in, in my life that I felt no fear, which was amazing, you know, like 
an entrepreneur dreams of not having fear. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, even when you walk in the city of London, you just feel like anything of your small, you know, for example, here in Malta, you think if I start a business, will there be enough people? Will there be enough? <laughs> when you walk the streets of London, you think anything is possible. You know, look at all these people, look at all these opportunities. And I felt that when I went to Australia, you know, I really, really felt that. And suddenly I could go to creative events. I could introduce myself comfortably. I didn't even feel shy of saying, you know, I am a photographer. I wouldn't say that in Malta. I would, I would, I don't know why, but I wouldn't say that confidently. So Australia really let me be me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas here I feel like I condition myself before thinking about who I really am, which is something I, I've worked on. And thanks to travel, I think that I've now let go of those inhibitions that I had so much. And I think it comes down to, I think, your, the education, like, and the educational system, because unfortunately, in some ways, it is a system that boxes you in. You have to fit into mm -hmm. the, you know, study theory, that's how it works that's how you're graded you're not graded on your creativity your creativity is actually a distraction so your traveling your traveling experience gave you absolute freedom freedom mm -hmm. it's that's perfect summary so we've got education and we've got freedom <laughs> but, but i oppose you but each, but each it, of us around the table are nodding our heads but but you're i mean it's it's good to have perspective because doreen's experience of education in malta gave you the opportunity that you wouldn't have had yeah. previously in, mm -hmm. in Lebanon or Libya. You're nodding your head frantically there, <laughs> Petra, to everything everybody's saying. So <laughs> how would you say, how would you describe the benefits that you've had from traveling? I think um, I wouldn't have been as open-minded as I am. And mm -hmm. that I think the fact that I was exposed to so many cultures, I think I remember at 22 when I, I was doing my master's in the UK and I met 84 people from 34 different nationalities <laughs> it was like yeah. whoa where am I you know and I was so like in awe and curious to get to know each and every person and understand from where they're coming and you know I still have those friendships up to this day and I'm thankful for that because you know I mean we still meet every year we go to each other's weddings everyone's having babies and it's like you know it, this, this community like keeps growing and growing and I think it helped me a lot into not being that judgmental and mm -hmm. to understand other people's perspectives and, you know, there are other ways on how to think, how to do things outside the box, sometimes outside the box that you know, that mm -hmm. you've been, you've grown to, you know. And at the time, as I, as I said, I wanted to get out from Malta. I felt stifled. I felt like I couldn't be mm -hmm. me 100%. And I think that was actually one of my best years. You know, when I went there, I felt like someone has opened a cage. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm running out there. You know, pictures of me yeah. now, just like <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's no, it was. It, there is that element of freedom, but coming back to what Doreen was saying, um, we're very lucky in Malta with our educational system because I could see that. You know, I I was like, whoa, I was so prepared to then face the the British educational system as well. So I'm like, yes, I I feel like I I really relate to that as well because we have a very good educational system, and I think it prepares you to other things as well in life. But then again, I think the fact that you experience other people's cultures, other people's way of thinking of even on the simplest of things sometimes. But were we going to come to culture in just a second? Because I, I, this is a big question about hmm. culture in just a second. But 
uh, you know, one of the things that I experienced, one of the things that, that traveling has really given me is, is, you know, it's not that easy. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes as well, but it's not actually not that easy. And when you're challenged with something, when you travel, you have to dig deep and you have to be independent and you have to get the heck on with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, also an asset. It, it, it contributes to open-mindedness. It mm -hmm. contributes to your freedom and it comes from educating yourself so it kind of brings all of those things mm -hmm. together so you have to grow a bit of a tough skin Definitely. yes but yeah. the benefits are i think when i go back to the uk i see the uk as if i've never seen it before and when i come back to malta and when i travel to any other country i have eyes creativity yeah. you have creativity you have eyes to open to see things to see the beauty of it mm. that perhaps you didn't see before unfortunately you probably also see the downside as yes, well yeah of course <laughs> but well, let's talk about culture because you touched on culture for a second and i made the mistake when i went to the u.s of thinking that because we all spoke the same language or mostly uh <laughs> we mostly spoke english that we were culturally the same mm. And I quickly realized that that's not the case. Yeah. Now, we're representing uh, different nationalities around the Maltese, English, and Lebanese around the table. But we also talk about the fact that we've got a, a, a South African husband, an Australian husband, a Colombian exotic husband, a Maltese. <laughs> Can I keep coming back to that exotic? <laughs> a Maltese <laughs> husband. But there, there is this, I, I think, unless you travel, unless you really, really immerse yourself in a culture and there's traveling and there's also living and traveling yeah, exactly, which and is unless, exactly. Yeah. and unless you immerse yourself in the culture you can still think that that because we all speak english we're all we think the same and that's not true no when i came to malta i was like oh my giddy aunt <laughs> north uh, european and uh, southern europeans do not think the same no, no. but so so open up to anybody i mean what has been your your biggest cultural divide experience because it's very enriching give me an idea of the good and the bad of that i mean you'd think australia is similar like i've nope, been there too they're very different <laughs> completely different even like i mean my, my husband's australian so for me I grew up in that kind of um, family environment where everyone wants to know everything about you, what's going on, what's happening, you know, like in a, in a positive, uplifting way, like they, they, they support you. And when I went to Australia, it was the opposite. It was like very independent living. Um, you know, I, I, in the beginning, I know, I remember I used to get really offended. Why, why, why is they not asking me things, you know, and things like that. But you know, even to this day, it's probably one of my things that I argue with the, the most, but it's just that culturally they, they live independently, you know, and mm -hmm. that's actually, I, I, over time I came to realize it's actually a really, really good thing. You know, we don't, not everybody's in everybody's business, like it is in Malta sort of thing. Um, so even just from the smallest of things, then, you know, like even at work, the work ethic, so different in Australia, you know, the way they think about, um, I don't know, this, this kind of relax, relax. It's, you, you don't have to be behind your desk all the time. I, was, I used to freak out. I'd be like, no, no, I'm sitting down. It's okay, I'm working on a document. It happened to me in Italy. That, uh, we used to start, I remember at the office, we used to start at uh, 9.30. I, I, I'm totally like used to diff a different kind of work ethic in Malta. So, you know, you start very early and I used to go to the office and at 9.30, I remember our, uh, my, my manager used to say, okay, let's go have the first coffee up the, at the bar, you know, <laughs> up the road. And I used to be like, 
really? We haven't even started working. Like, you know, we're already getting out of the office. Then it would be like at around two, okay, we're having a break. And I used to, you know, eat at my desk at the time. They'd be like, no, 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 get up. You don't, you don't even answer the phone. Get up. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is so different. It took me a while to get used to that, to be honest. It took me a while. In my case, um, learning the language. So here in Malta, even though the majority speak English, <laughs> they would still end up speaking Maltese. So mm-hmm. learning the language um, what made it easier for us, you know, to be part of the community. But as soon as you turn your back, they again switching to Maltese language. Mm-hmm. So this is what I told to my husband. You need to learn the language. He's working with Maltese people. So, okay. I mean... I mean, they and, and now he surprises him every day. I teach him a phrase, and I'm like, today you have to t- say this to them. So it helps learning the language. If not, you'll feel like a fish out of the water mm-hmm. every now and then, especially when you have to deal with bureaucratic things. Yeah. When they know that you know the language, they treat you differently. That's, that's so true. So, so for us, we saw the difference learning the language. I, as an English person, you know, I'm very fortunate because I speak English quite well, I hope. <laughs> uh, but uh, learning languages and speaking languages for, excuse the pun, for an English person is foreign <laughs> because we find it quite difficult. We get very self-conscious. And I can remember learning Maltese and walking boldly into the supermarket. And I was, I was <laughs> bonjour, bonjour, kifind, kif. <laughs> Say um, grazie, grazie, you know this sort of thing, and and it's, you're going to be sure at some point someone's going to go, ah, oh, hello, Albi, <laughs> and I said, uh, very, very pleased with myself. I said, Yina Arid, we had hobs yak and the woman turned around and said, very loudly in the middle of the supermarket, le mush, we had hobs, hobs are water. So the entire supermarket heard, <laughs> me, heard us say that. <laughs> yeah. And I can say that's probably the last time I've tried to buy groceries in Maltese. <laughs> but it's true because you, if you make an effort at least, and this is what I take now with my experience of being in, in Prague, if you make an effort at least, mm-hmm. even if you're not going to manage to speak fluently, at least if you make an effort... Yeah people will be more accepting and more open to you than if you come and say, I'm not going to try. I mean, you must speak in Italian. Yeah, okay? it's the same thing. I mean, in, in Italy, I, I remember when I joined the office at the beginning, everyone was like, you know, does she speak Italian? Like in front of me, you know, like <laughs> as if I was not there. And, and I, I could speak because as you were saying, I mean, from a very young age, I was exposed to Italian TV. So I learned my Italian from TV. And I was very fluent in Italian, so I could, you know, they, they couldn't even speak much English, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. So I don't know what I would have done if I, if I didn't know Italian. And it was the same, for example, just with just me going to open a bank account in Italy in Rome. So, like, apart from the bureaucracy, but it, I had to speak Italian because they could get nothing in English. Yeah. So I feel like, yes, it gives you that extra, you know, it's, it's, it's important, yes, to learn the, the it, language. It, it's interesting. We've touched on the language, but you also mentioned, Rebecca, you mentioned about um, uh, family environments, about, you know, this is something I'm coming to, to terms with is that families are much more connected here than they are in the UK. Yes. <laughs> and I've had the advantage yeah. sort of sitting on the yeah. on the fringes of, of 
getting too connected with families. And now I, I am in, ingratiated into a family because I'm now married. And that, for me, when that started happening, when I got involved in that family and they started getting, you know, really involved and, and you know, come over and this sort of thing, I'm like, whoa. You felt it full on. Yeah. yeah. Like, whoa, whoa, space. My husband, my space, husband you know? felt the same. It can I be think. a bit invasive here. Yeah. Well, I think in Lebanon, even, even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like when I compare here, I think that Maltese people do not like to visit each other. Mm. In fact, when I invite Maltese people, they feel a bit... Mm, not at ease, you know, and only those who have lived abroad, they find themselves, you know, it's okay to be invited, but you, family is different because yes, you go, you know, to visit each other, like your brother or your sister, but friends, no, in Lebanon, like, it's so normal to, to have people over, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about just family, but mm -hmm. literally lots of people at home, so I, I, I then said, okay, I need to teach them that it's okay, you know. So for them, they find it. Okay, English people are not going to get on there because <laughs> I'm telling you now, English people need an invitation yeah. and they need to be given a time. And if it says nine o'clock, you have to be there at five to nine. <laughs> and if you don't get an invitation, you're not going to turn up. I mean, my, my absolute wonderful mother-in-law keeps turning around and saying, just drop in. And I'm like, Older. Don't do that. doesn't <laughs> work yeah. for me because that would be considered rude because what if you turn mm -hmm. up and somebody's actually you know doing the groceries or something oh, it's it's tough but you're saying that that's even more so than yeah, Malta yeah, yeah. some people I mean in Lebanon you don't pre-advise that I'm coming over you just go knock on the door okay. <gasps> you know? oh. I'm like no 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 I don't want that I don't want that you know here so in our family, we still keep the, the Maltese way. You know, yes. we pre-inform. Yes. No, I think it was more like that in the past in Malta because I, I always guess. remember, you know, the doorbell ringing and my uncle coming over just randomly on his, like, lunch break. We don't have, you know, I don't really hear the doorbell ring anymore, which yeah. is really sad. Yeah. Um, so I think <laughs> things are changing because I suppose maybe life has become busier and I don't know. I, I, guess, I think yeah. the dynamics of... Maltese culture is changing in that mm -hmm. regard. We were much more, we were much more like that. I don't know if you mm -hmm. agree. It used to be yes, much more sort of open and everyone meddling into you know during the day, like ringing the bell. Yeah, it used to be probably. Yeah. yeah. But I think the Maltese have also a fixation that when you're inviting people at people at home, you need to have everything you know Perfect. spick and span. And yeah. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things that uh, baffles a bit people when when you know someone rings the bell on it and mm -hmm. they're not like invited or they, yeah, they're not ready yeah. for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. so I think. One of the things we haven't touched on just yet is religion mm -hmm. and how religion shapes cultures as well. And when I came to Mal Malta, Malta was uh, one of, and still is one of the most Catholic countries in the world. And I was, I think really surprised, pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways, but also kind of taken aback in others because the UK is a Christian country, but it's a very sort of, um, uh, how can I put it, um, cream cakes at the parish fate kind of yeah. Christianity. Uh, and Malta here is, you know, festers and mm -hmm. very much you go to church. And when I came, 90%, I think the statistic was 92% of the population were regular attenders of church. Now, that may not be the same as it is now. But how have you found, how have you found that for you, Doreen? Because... What is what is the religious background that you came from? Okay, so most probably few people would know this this religion. Um, I would call it a branch. It's called Druze. Mm. Um, I can tell. No. <laughs> 
Um, well, I know what I'm thinking of, but I'm wondering, I'm curious to find yeah, out. Yeah, basically, it, obviously, it's completely different, you know. It, um, apparently, it's a branch in between Christianity and Islam, you know. But at home, my parents were never forcing us um, to stick to our religion. <laughs> so, first of all, our religion is very a, a close religion, okay? You are born. You cannot convert to start with and you're supposed to get married right. to someone from the same religion oh. but as you might imagine the three of us <laughs> married and Very non dirty <laughs> um so so obviously for us my mom used to say go to church i i have no problem because god's words are the same in every religion so we used to go to church and for us i i read the bible and I followed, you know, religion classes and what have you. And so if you ask me what, what religion I have, I would tell you I am not religious. I'm spiritual. I believe in God. And so, and this is how it is in our family, you know. My sister may be a bit more. She's more religious than I am. And my brother a bit less. So, but our parents never forced us, you know, to 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 stick to one direction. Uh, and obviously it was completely new for us because we were not, um, we didn't, we had no idea. In Lab the good thing about Lebanon, uh, maybe you already know that, that we have a lot of religions in Lebanon. So in, in our village, actually, there are Christians and Druze living together. So it's normal for us to see a mosque and the church mm -hmm. in the same area. You know, so you in Lebanon, you see people covered all over and you see people wearing a miniskirt and a, a boot tube. So it, it's normal for us. Right. We, you know, we live with, you know, um, but us as kids, you know, it was new. It was new to come here and go to school and have these religious classes and church, you know, and um how they are called in Maltese, uh, not youth centers, but they have another word. I forgot how they're called. And they were asking us, hey, you should send your kids there. But Dutrina, maybe, was it? Dutrina, but there's another, I can't remember, there's another one. Um, but again, my mother said, if you want, go. If not, no. So this is our experience when it comes to religion. And how, did, how, yeah, how about you guys? I mean, you guys... I'm assuming it was slightly different for you. No, my my parents are quite religious. They they so we grew up with a very religious uh, environment. Um, so for me, when I moved to Australia, when I first travelled, really, I would say, because all I knew was Christianity, I, I suppose. Um, but it was very eye opening to say, like, I don't know, it was probably the first time in my life I thought, but who is right? <laughs> like, whose oh. whose religion is right? Like, they believe one thing, still good they believe another thing it's still good but all my life all i had because even i went to a church school i was like god is good god is this god so you know it, it was um quite an interesting experience to be amongst so many different religions and realizing everyone is equal and everyone is the same and my husband is not religious so for for him for for me it was it was uh, an issue at first not not a personal issue but because I imagined, like, how would it be with my family, with my parents being quite religious, um, you know, and even getting married, for example. Michael had to be baptized to be married in the Church of Malta at first, we thought. 
And I mean, I mean, just to give you an idea, I, I remember asking Michael, Michael, are you baptized? Uh, not sure. Um, <laughs> I asked my mom. Um, and then I asked his mom and his mom was like, Michael, did we baptize Michael? <laughs> so that's how, how um, like, I suppose not so important it was in comparison yeah. to us, you know, it was baptism is a must, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. So it was interesting because now raising children with two very different ah. like values, like my husband believes that you just need to be a good person. You can be like, you know, whatever religion you have, you need to respect other people and you know, that sort of thing. And I find myself conflicted. Like I want to raise my children with some religious beliefs. I want to say prayers with them before they go to bed. I want, you know, but my, if my husband is going to be telling them otherwise, it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's challenging um, to know what direction to follow. So I, I suppose I, like, you know, like mm-hmm. your, your mom, they, they will have a choice and they will be told both and then they get to choose. But the Maltese culture doesn't kind of force it a little bit in the sense you know um Mm. like if you're not going to doctrina i don't know what the word is in english then you're an outsider of the classroom yes yeah so doctrina is like a doctrination school yes yes exactly so i I, my son's not there yet but he will soon be of age that he Mm. will kind of have to decide and the school now is like you can choose you can choose to go or choose not to go but then if you don't go, you're not part of the yeah. bigger ceremonies mm. and things like that. And obviously, you shouldn't do these things for the ceremonies because mm-hmm. that's not what religion should be about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I try and raise my children um, with good values and I try and explain to them, you know, the values that I've practiced. You know, we agree, my husband and I, to have our own different ways as well, but we respect each other. Like, he respects that, you know, and he respected to get married in the church and he said if I need to be baptized I will be baptized um so but it was when when I traveled the first time it was a very big eye-opener for me because again I had never been around other religions and it's very monoculture and Malta and the religion aspect we're changing as well because I wasn't I was brought up not actually forced into I mean I come from a Roman Catholic upbringing I used to go to the trina I used to you know I had my holy communion my confirmation all the um, uh, important ceremonies, but again, then my my for example, my husband is a Christian, so uh, unless he was baptized, we couldn't get married in a Roman Catholic church, mm-hmm. and yes. we decided not to because I respect his beliefs, he respects mine. We don't have kids as yet, so that's that's one thing. In fact, that's mm-hmm. very interesting because then what do you do, you know? But I feel like if I was brought up and having them my own choices, you know, when I when when I was older, I think probably it would be the same. But we're both, I mean, believers. We believe in, in God, you know. And uh, in fact, to get married in the Catholic Church in Malta, you have to go through yeah, exactly yes. some what's yeah. called? Takana, Takana, Takana yes, course, some, and some lessons. For yeah. my husband, it was hilarious because yes. he he never yeah. experienced. <laughs> but in fact, they do a compatibility test on you and see how compatible you are with your husband. And in the religion area, we scored extremely badly like, <laughs> <laughs> because. He, obviously does not have the same upbringing as mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. so um in the paperwork i think we would have yes. failed <laughs> we went the other way because i i come from a christian faith and we got married uh, with a christian 
pastor and minister who who married us and we had exactly the same we had a compatibility test beforehand we scored really well oh there you go (laughs) we did brilliantly i have to just say thank you very much so we're talking about these differences we're talking about these challenges as well and i want to touch on one thing uh i want to look at in a minute about how it's molded you as a person now and and your desires for the future before we get there I don't know about you, but I, I quite often get people saying, oh, it's so exciting that you get to live abroad and it's amazing that you get to travel and it's really, really wonderful. And I'm sure you get mm-hmm. people saying, oh, wow, you're so exotic. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the things that happened to me that really brought home this living abroad, living away from my family, living in a different culture, whilst I've made Malta my home over covid one of my family members passed away and we knew that he was going to pass away. He was terminal and I saw him at the end of 2019 and I said, don't worry, as soon as I know that you, you're you you know, at the, the very last, I will come back and I'll be with you. Mm. And unfortunately, he passed away two weeks into lockdown and I had to watch the funeral on a webcam whilst my family in the UK were all hugging each other, consoling each other, and I sat and watched it on a webcam. And it was one of the most um, traumatic experiences I think I've ever gone through in the last in the recent years because I couldn't be there. And I I sobbed mm-hmm. and I wailed and I was very fortunate to be in a place where I could just allow that emotion to come out. They couldn't hear me. I could hear them, but I was absolutely isolated from this event. So. Whilst all of this traveling and experiencing mm. other cultures and embracing them and finding those paths and, and getting education and freedom and open-mindedness is brilliant, what have you found is the greatest challenge for you? For me, probably, I still think to this day, being away from my family. And, and COVID really highlighted that, that I can't, I can't just drop everything. I, I was... My my family will tell you every time I traveled, oh, she always cried her eyes out. <laughs> always, she <laughs> cried her eyes out. That's, they love to say that. Um, but it's true. I, it, I, it's all well and good saying all the positives, but it was very hard as well. Um, you know, I grew up as a family of four children. We always had noise in our house. And, and I just remember I used to come home to my small flat in Australia and silence. I couldn't deal with the silence. The silence used to kill me inside. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it because I never had silence in my whole life. You know, there was always noise and somebody around me. So when I was alone, it was very, very, very overwhelming to to feel that loneliness. And I think it's the the challenge is that you have to sit with yourself then and you have to discover yourself, uh, which is something we don't really get the chance to do unless like we put ourselves in those moments. So um, isn't that sorry? Isn't that a great turn of phrase to sit with yourself yes yeah I, I, I that is yeah. the most amazing turn of phrase just to sit and be with yourself and I, you don't really get that often in your life mm-hmm. when you think about it um I mean I was lucky that back then I didn't have children and everything so I had that opportunity to be alone and figure out who who am I you know mm-hmm. that's tough you as learn well. so much yeah. very very yourself. tough yeah, yeah. You, and you come but there are a lot of people who don't know how to stay oh, yes. on their own a lot I, I i know a lot of people who get anxious about it or it's yeah. one of their biggest fears but i think when you get the opportunity to actually feel that it's 
And also because it's a, we, we're just to butt in, because I know from a recent conversation, this was part of your path as, path as well. You were going backwards and forwards for six years mm-hmm. from yes. Italy, and you, mm-hmm. when you're there, and and part of my experience, you know, one else, you know. Yeah. Part of my yeah. experience now is when I'm traveling up to Prague, day in day out, I'm on my own, me and the dog. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's not great. Loneliness can get can be tough. Yeah. And when you like have grown up all your life, essentially you have some community friends and stuff, and you have to start from scratch. Literally, mm-hmm. it's so hard. To, especially, mm-hmm. it's extremely hard. I used to feel, th- I used to always say, but if I message that person, they're not going to message me back. They're maybe being kind to message me back mm-hmm. and meet me. That feeling of being wanted and being like someone needs you as much as you need them, you know in Malta I have that because I know my friends need me as much as I need them and vice versa but when I was in Australia the first time I had nobody so it's you know um it's it's hard to accept in the beginning and to understand that you are your own person and you're you just have to survive for yourself for yourself so and even to to break the ice with people and to make friends and, mm-hmm. and to put yourself out there. If you're not a extrovert, I'm not really a, um, more of an introverted kind of style character. Um, I used to find that really really tough. I think even for extroverts, that's also yeah. a challenge. Doreen, you're you're nodding away there. You're you're talking. And was this your experience when you mm, came? Not really. No, because remember, I came with my family. Mm. So the thing is, I want to answer your question uh, with two experiences. Um, since I came with my family, the rest, like as in my uncles and my aunties, they were still in Le- they are still in Lebanon. Uh, the thing is because we 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 don't remember them. So if somebody had to pass away, we wouldn't feel that remorse or pain like my parents. Mm. But throughout the years, when we went back to Lebanon to visit, you know, we 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 built relationships. So now it's different. When somebody passes away, you're like ah. But the thing is, go- it's not going to Sicily, going to Lebanon. It's not that easy, you know, to travel. So, so for uh, for me, I would say um, I didn't feel isolated or alone because I have my family here. You know, I have my brother, my sister, my parents here. But I can relate when I traveled Latin America. I was backpacking on my own, and when I stayed, I lived there for one year. I miss my family terribly because I'm very close to my brother and, and sister and, and their kids. For example, I miss my brother's wedding. And I told him, I'm not going to come back to Malta, you know, just for your wedding. So I did like you did. I had to watch the wedding, you know, over a camera. And for example, I miss some important dates of my nephews you know, or, my, or my nieces, you know. So, so yes, that time I felt alone. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to come back to, to Europe. I mean, I love Latin America. And I, like I told you before, I think I was a Latina in my previous life. Um, but I missed, I missed that sensation to be surrounded by people who love me. And I, used, I was living in Nicaragua. Unfortunately, over there, you live a great life. But when it comes to money, you don't earn that much. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it to Europe. I will never buy a house in Europe if I keep on living here. So that was, and the third reason was love. I was <laughs> heartbroken. Her exotic. <laughs> Back to it. <laughs> All right, exotic. 
coming back to you because you you were nodding as well with these experiences and we've talked about this loneliness and I think there's two sides to that loneliness it makes when you do have to sit with yourself and this amazing and you had to sit with yourself in 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 Latin America you had to sit with yourself in Australia you had to sit with yourself in in Italy Italy and your travels as well it does make you much stronger it makes you much stronger but it can also isolate you from the people that you grew up with because there's a difference yes because suddenly you you feel a different mentality but for you what's been the greatest challenge was that was a community challenge i think it's i think the fact that you miss certain important events for example i still remember i missed uh, my brother's first graduation it Mm. was i mean we have a very good relationship i think our relationship even got better when i was living abroad when i left home you know and uh I mean, we, we're very close. So at the time, I, I remember I was working. I couldn't come back. And uh, it was quite tough, you know. And another another important, I think, it, it wasn't an event. It was a funeral. Um, uh, that I could, uh, It was my, my one of my friends. Um, her father passed away. And I was away for three weeks um, working. And I couldn't come back. And that really, I think it was a moment of realization for me that, you know, I'm missing a lot and mm-hmm. I should be there. And when w- I was uh, as well working abroad once when, I mean, when my grandmother passed away and I remember going back home during doing that trip back home was heartbreaking for me because, you know, it's like I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. from the very beginning and uh, I feel like you miss you get to miss all these you know yes. celebrations um, difficult moments family difficult moments or, or a friend's um, difficult moment but um, I think it's the, still the positives outweigh the negatives mm-hmm. overall I'm glad you said that and before <laughs> we I'm going to come for, for towards the end of the show shortly and, and with kind of closing thoughts before we get there you mentioned positives and You've been traveling, Darina, across South Latin America, Australia, Europe. And if I was to ask you, and I'll, I'll start by telling you mine, but if I was to ask you to pinpoint one hard-wired memory that sticks in your mind from your travels that really shaped you or just you, you go back and revisit, I want you to think about what that would be. I'm going to start by telling you mine, so I'll give you a second to think about it and put it in context. But I can remember in 1995, I was traveling across Australia, still before the internet, by the way. <laughs> uh, still no mobile phones. Um, I was traveling, traveling across Australia, and I jumped onto the Indian Pacific train, which took me from Adelaide back to Sydney. And it was a, a 24-hour ride. And I got on, and there was a chap on the same carriage as me, uh, and uh, to this day, I remember his name. Uh, and he said to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going all the way to, to Sydney. And he said, I'm going to Orange. He said, I happen to know the guard. Do you want to come and sit in the guard carriage at the back mm-hmm. of the train? And I, it was one of those moments where you can make a decision. Mm-hmm. I don't know this person. Am I going to do it or am I not? And I did. And we sat there and we drank VB beer and smoked pot <laughs> and watched back in the day. Uh, and we the sun came up over the bush and at one point the train slowed right down and the kangaroos as the sunrise came over the bush were racing the train Hmm. and it was one of those things that visually was stuck in my mind and as he came up to orange 
uh, as we came up to Orange and he, he came prepared to get off the train, I said to him, let's swap, you know, let, let's swap addresses and let's keep in touch. And he said, you didn't get it. He said, this moment was for now. Hmm. Keep hold of it, enjoy it, and take it with you. But we don't need to carry this on. This was for now. Wow. Wow. And it was very powerful to be able to teach me to let go. It was mm -hmm. the most beautiful visual thing that I think I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. To be present, exactly mm -hmm. yeah. that. Enjoy that moment. Exactly. And I think that changed my perspective. So if for each of you, a, a moment of traveling that's really had a profound thought. Hmm. Very difficult, because there are many. But um, my husband and I, before we moved back to Malta, um, we did six months traveling around the world. And... There were so many out-of-body experiences, I would say, where you just, you look, I don't know, it's like this feeling you get where you look at me, look at where I am, look at how lucky I am. And that, I think, for me, my mother always said, like, you need to give your children roots and wings. So I hope to instill that in my own children someday. Um, but I think unless you venture outside of your little bubble, you won't ever experience that feeling. And it's life should have that feeling at some point or another i, I personally believe in and that can only come from travel um that that sense of out of body like look at the world look at the world like it's just incredible you know and i think for me um it's something i want to live by and i always tell my husband like we're gonna have many 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 retirements in our life <laughs> because you never know what retirement life will be like so exactly. i don't want to wait exactly. till retirement life is short so i want to live you know with many many retirements what a great so, way of putting it i like that huh? can i use that you can Zarina, <laughs> a moment when you've been so traveling I, i'm gonna share with you a story um so i had a travel companion who whom we started our travel from Mexico, and um, he's going to be hearing this one, so I have to be careful how to put <laughs> the words. Um, and um, so we started off together, and we were doing, um, we were working in a hostel, right? And then we decided to go to Guatemala. So he was my travel companion, but I felt like I was the manager. I was the translator. I was the coordinator. I, I, I had a lot of pressure, you know, and I got tired. So there was an episode where we had to climb a volcano. All the other um, travelers in that particular hostel told us that ideally you do it, you start in the morning and then you finish in the evening. Somehow, a travel guide convinced my friend, no, no, you shouldn't do like that. You should start during the night, and then you see sunrise. So he came up to us, and he convinced us. Well, he convinced, you know, the other three. I wasn't really convinced, but I had no other option. So we started at midnight. We were six in total, including the guide. So imagine cold, okay, to start with. You had no idea where you're going to walk. It was terribly steep, you know, and dark, pitch black. So at the beginning, the guide was looking back to see, okay, I have a trail of people. So he was taking it easy. But my travel companion and another person, they were, they, they were used to tracking. So they were walking faster. The guide at one point got tired of waiting for me and another person so he kept walking with them 
and he left us behind. And I like thought many, many times, no man, I can't do it, I need to go back, I'm, I'm tired, I'm feeling cold. And my friend, no, 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 you can do it, you can do it. Now that you, you've arrived to this point, come on, we're gonna soon and, and see the sunrise. After eight hours, we managed to arrive up there. And my friend told me, your travel companion should be with you here, making sure that you're okay. And when we arrived up there, he was on another volcano because we took so long. So he had, you know, even time to go to another volcano. And that moment I said, I don't want that. He told me, you should keep on traveling alone. And that was the point where I decided I'm going to keep on traveling alone. He took it so badly. Anyway, we're still, we're still very good friends. I love you two bits. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but that was a remarkable moment. And thanks to that, because then, you know, we took separate ways. He told me, I'm really glad that I made my own path because he experienced so many things alone. Mm -hmm. Alone. When you're traveling, you're never alone, you know. Yeah. But when you're traveling in two, it's different. So, so thanks. I would say thank you. But it was a remarkable moment that I will never forget. I wanted to give up. But then at the end, I said, oh. Gosh, I am glad I did it. I love so, that yeah. story. Yeah. I love that story. Petra, you got that one to follow. I think my my remarkable moment is when my husband decided to, you know, introduce me to his country, to South Africa, to his parents, but to the country. And uh, we were um, road tripping. And at, at one point, we went to this um, park, Pillensburg Park, for, you know, the, the game drive experience. And I remember... One night, one particular night, we were sleeping. It was like two or three in the morning, and there was a really bad thunderstorm. But it was so beautiful, mm. so, something I had never experienced before. And I keep mentioning this, like it's something, because I was in awe. I was like, wow, I'm so grateful to be in this moment right now. And I remember waking up and saying, Dan, can you hear this? Wow. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, it was so beautiful. We were in this valley, and the thunderstorm was so bad, but it, the sound was amazing to me so I felt like really grateful to be in this country in this moment and you know I, it's something that that feeling I'll keep carrying with me for a long time I remember coming back to Malta and narrating that thing as a first experience you know the country is beautiful whatever but I remember narrating that particular experience which probably I will never experience again but who knows but I felt so grateful in the moment and that goes back to actually enjoying Appreciating the Appreciating moment. Appreciating the moment. The littlest of things. Yeah. For me, it was a thunderstorm. Yeah. And I think that's something that we've consistently come back to over and over again. It's about appreciating that moment and taking mm, yeah. advantage of the opportunities yeah. that are given to us. I'm going to stick with you for these closing remarks, Petra, <laughs> because I know we've, we've been sitting here talking about traveling for, for quite a while. But uh, I've got a different question for each of you. Uh, has your traveling finished? Are you settled in Malta? Is this the end of the road for you? I never say never. No, I never say never. Who knows? You'd be Maybe open, to, open yes, to a new of journey? Course. Yes, always. I'm always open to a new journey. I like that. For you, Rebecca, is it important for you to be here with your kids and your family or are you itchy to go abroad? I think I'm always itchy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think the itch ever stops itching. Um, <laughs> but right now, my support system is very important to me. So I... I appreciate that immensely having like been to different sites and, and knowing you know wherever you are the grass is always greener as well wherever you're so, so you have to uh, appreciate what you have 
and for now what I have is 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 good you know I, I want to but then in the future what if the future holds I don't definitely don't condition I would never sign a paper saying you have to stick to Malta for the rest of your life I couldn't do that especially I don't know what my children one day will want mm -hmm. I don't want to ever limit their own opportunities would you want for them to to travel would you want to take them abroad so they can experience overseas it, I'm, I'm at, in two ways about it because I always tell my husband, I hope my children don't do what I did to my parents, <laughs> um, you know, and from the flip side, I say maybe it's a good thing we have boys because then they won't be so reliant on us and we can travel too. <laughs> so I think they will have travel in their blood. My, my son is already telling me, you know, about where he wants to go. I think if he could have a backpack on him already at five years old, he probably <laughs> would, he probably would go off to Cambodia or somewhere. So, Doreen, my question for you is: Where is where is your roots? Are you would you consider yourself Maltese? Would you consider yourself Lebanese? Would you consider yourself partly South American? Because of course that's been part of your experience. <laughs> where where do you lie? Where do you sit? How do you identify and define yourself? When people ask me, where are you from? I say, I'm Lebanese. So my roots, I mean, I'm Lebanese. But funny enough, when I am back to Lebanon, they tell me, ah, you live abroad? Because, it, you know, your accent sounds different. So when I go back to Lebanon, I look different. I'm not the typical Lebanese. Um, so, but in any case, I always say I'm Lebanese. I have a Maltese uh, citizenship. And um, I mean... But having said that, I say, I think I was a Latina in my previous life. <laughs> <laughs> this is exotic. Here she goes again. Yeah. Here she goes again. I want a final closing word. We're going to wrap up the show, but I want to encourage uh, women particularly yeah. and young women particularly to spread their wings. As you said, to to find that freedom to open their mind and maybe even pursue education but to experience those things that we've discussed around the table bearing in mind the challenges that also uh, lies within women being abroad a, a final word from you Doreen what would you say to, to someone who's even thinking about going abroad go for it because people will stop you are you crazy you're gonna do that backpacking alone do your own homework, do your own research. If you want something, go for it. I mean, if I try to listen to people, I wouldn't be like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't travel all, all those dangerous countries. But look, now I came back with a huge luggage, you know, an interesting luggage. So I would say to anyone out there, do it. What a great way of putting it. I yeah. came back with huge luggage. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> There's some really good phrases I'm going to steal today uh, for you. I would say, and this is my favorite quote by Mark Twain, and, it, and he, in it he says, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the things that you did do. And then it says, throw, so throw off the bowline, sail, sail, sail away from the safe harbor and catch the trade winds in your sails. And for me, I've always lived by that quote. So I love that. Definitely. I mean, I would also say go for it. I mean, we only have one life. Be happy. Pursue different journeys and get to know different people from different countries. Because I think it's it makes you so rich mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, someone who hasn't done it would never understand it. Never. Well, ladies, look, statistics say that uh, 33 countries tune into this show. 
as oh, women are. from all around the world. So I want <laughs> yeah. to cheers to, cheers to the women who have uh, Maltese who are abroad, but also to cheers to the brave women who are making their home in Malta. Cheers. And chin chin to you ladies. Cheers. cheers. Thank cheers. you.